Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a podcast about girls from a couple of girls. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, definitely my gender. <laughs> uh, I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. I'm Micah Silverne. I'm a childcare provider who specializes in social emotional learning, and I use they, them pronouns. Welcome to episode two, y'all. We're talking about Hairspray, a movie that we both, I think, really, really love and had a hard time not talking for hours and hours about. Yeah, it's the 1988 John Waters version, not the 2007 remake. We kind of got a little sidetracked and didn't really dive into childhood as much as we probably could have. But y'all, we love this movie so much. I I do want to say that I was th- I've been thinking about this since we made the podcast and I think another thing we both really love about this movie is that the main character does her growing up by throwing herself behind a political cause like people are telling her to be away and she won't do it and she continues to not do it to the point that she like becomes a radical and integrates her community which i mean as a couple of fucking lefty radicals i think that speaks to both of our hearts oh absolutely there is some talk of body image in this episode um yeah. it's kind of unavoidable with what the movie is um but it's pretty light and not too heavy Thanks. but heavy on trans stuff i mean we we rave a lot about divine um throughout this episode so look forward to that yeah follow us on social media send us an email leave a Um, review leave a review let us know you exist thanks for listening just gets right to the point there's like yeah there's not a lot of fat in this movie no. and it's really fantastic it just like clips along really well and you don't get bogged down in like a ton of plot points and it's really easy to follow and very predictable but in a yeah. really fun way uh it has this like r- nice light tone it's like it's like drinking like a four a, percent a like uh, <laughs> light pilsner or something it's like it goes down so smooth like other than the like john waters weirdness the you know the growth the gross zip popping and and vomiting and stuff uh it's very much like reads and feels like a sitcom almost that makes sense like yeah the way the conflicts are kind of like yeah low stakes and and quick yeah there's not a lot of other than the like Okay, other than the, like, segregation stuff. I'm not trying to call segregation low stakes. Um, but, yeah, it's very... I just love this movie so much. I know, much. I know. It's like, we're gonna have a hard time talking about this movie and not just gushing about it. We chat before these shows and we were both like, I, I want to watch this movie again. Like, when we're done, do you want to watch it again? <laughs> again, it's so good. I John Waters universe just makes sense to me and it i mean i think that's okay so my my real thesis about this and john waters is that this movie is just like it's camp like in a nutshell right like every every it's camp in its bones like it sweats camp every part of it is like cranked up and arch and like cartoon and it's like really beautiful and it's very gay obviously like that's like camp is an essential part of of queerness i think but i was thinking like as i was watching this like i feel like a lot of straight people would get a lot out of john waters i agree because i don't feel like straight people get because they don't have things like camp and drag and pride like they don't have the ability to be like extra and over the top and like intense in a way that is allowable. I don't know. I'm not saying the straights should have pride. I'm saying they should watch John Waters movies and get uncomfortable and I don't know, like feel feel weird for a while. Yeah, uh, and I think Hairspray's a great introduction to John Waters. Totally. If it's... you're only gonna watch one, watch this. I mean, like they're all good. 
but like pink flamingos you kind of have to watch pink flamingos if you're gonna watch another one my husband is a big fan of cry baby so i have to call that one out yeah i think if you're straight watch 1988's hairspray like it you owe it to yourself to have some kind of connection because this movie really is straight people drag totally and yeah we should say we um we're pulling a little bit from a a favorite podcast of ours uh you are good that just recently did an episode about this movie um that we both thought was really interesting so i apologize if we repeat some stuff for them you should go listen to their episode it's way better produced than this show (laughs) um no offense to our lovely producer no it's wonderful one of my favorite podcasts out there please go listen and support them. but i yeah i apologize if we overlap i'm trying specifically not to do that but it, it will happen from time to time yeah um anyway i got us got us so far off since we're talking camp do you want to go for the queen herself and talk about oh how amazing God. divine is in this movie? we have to talk about divine divine is a personal hero of mine i know i, I just she's iconic yeah and i'm so grateful to have her around and she is the inspiration for literally my favorite villain of all time yeah and i she left such an imprint on me as a person that i didn't really appreciate until i was much older and realized how queer i was right like that was one of the early signs my obsession with divine that i should have should have put known. those pieces together. That and the softball. Yeah, I don't... Both of us, it's like, how did we not... How how did we miss? There were so many signs. But yeah, I... Divine... It. She's like so radiant in this movie. Like, every single scene she's in, you can't take your eyes off her. You can really tell how much love and respect is in the relationship of John Waters and Divine. Because, like, you can always tell when a director or a cinematographer really likes the subjects that they're working with because they know how to make them shine. They know how to make them completely steal every scene they're in. And it's... And, like, we get... We get Divine in drag as Edna Turnblad for most of the movie, and then we also get her out of drag as Arvin, the, like, racist, like, radio owner or whatever, TV station owner. Um, And amazing in both roles. I think she's wearing, someone should check this for me, but I think she's wearing, like, big fake teeth as Arvin, and it's, like, pretty ludicrous, because anyway uh but yeah like amazing in both parts absolutely and it's really fun to see what seeing her take on masculinity and like villainous masculinity is something that like i as a gender fluid very gender confused person like could feel in a very unique way that i think being able to be like oh shit you see gender like through four different lenses too and seeing it on screen so flawlessly just like made my little queer heart go, oh, I'm not alone. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like movies like this exist for like gay kids like us in the Midwest or wherever. Like, yeah, if you live in uh, South Carolina and you are gay, or Alabama is a better example, if you are and you are gay, like, watch some John Waters movies. The other, we exist. I promise. This movie is set in 60s, uh, 1960s Baltimore, 1962 specifically. It gets called out a bunch. I, I don't know, like, I've never been to Baltimore, but this, this, it feels very Baltimore. It definitely feels Baltimore. I think that as someone who's never really been to the East Coast and had face-to-face interactions with what I've been told is a very aggressive people, I think it portrays really well on screen. Well, and I think, I think Baltimore specifically has this kind of, like, working class uh blue collar reputation that is maybe less prominent in other like east coast cities and i like i like that there's a line in the movie somewhere where like they're talking about you know integration and 
somebody says something like, well, this is Baltimore, right? Like, we don't do, like, this isn't New York. Like, we don't do that shit. Right. And I don't know. I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. Plus, there's, like, I mean, all the townhouses and and everything is really cute. I mean, I think the most Baltimore-y, Baltimore-ish scene uh, is where Link and Trick... Trixie, Link and Tracy are making out and she just like kicks a rat off her foot and <laughs> she's like, oh, this is so romantic. <laughs> Only yeah. in Baltimore. Uh, but yeah, I think that even underneath all of the sunshine campiness that is in this movie, you still get this like blue collar grit really worked into yeah the scene uh scene production and like the settings are fantastic totally yeah everything feels really i mean this movie paints like because everything is is heightened right like the the class distinction is really really heightened right like um trudy tracy we're gonna go through every teen name in the book. Uh, Tracy's like Tracy lives in what looks like an apartment, like a pretty small, like two bedroom apartment that her mother also works out of, and like they have a like a tiny little TV and a storefront downstairs. Right, ab- right above a shop. Um, and then we get um, Amber. Right, we get Amber's house. Right, and everything is like it's practically Trump Tower. Like. Everything is, like, so bright and so gaudy. And, yeah, it is an interesting way to depict class. Like, I feel like we're going to hit this point a lot, so I'm going to hit it early. It's so hard to know what to take seriously in this movie. And, I mean, like, John Waters would tell you nothing, I think. But, like, it's so hard to know if how much of it is, like, an intentional comment and how much of it is just a comment that happens as a result of of blowing it up to 11 as would happen with anything right like yeah that's how comedy works you turn anything up to 11 and it becomes funny right but is it meant to mean something i don't i don't know like we're probably overthinking this movie probably overthinking this movie is the subtitle of this podcast (laughs) i don't know and i think that is one of the things that John Waters does with his movies in such a brilliant way of you kind of are left, am I supposed to be laughing at this? Am I supposed to be thinking critically about this? Right. What am I? And I think it really pushes that, like, I feel off and uncomfortable that a lot of us queer people feel constantly. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good point. John Waters is definitely one of those directors where you could point to something in, like, the background of a scene and he'll be, this is here for this reason, and, like, have it, at least everything is planned out or yeah, it feels very put together. Totally. It's not, you know, it has, like, a very, like, scene-setting feeling. It's yeah. almost theatery i was gonna say it this feels movie, very stage-like this movie yeah this movie in particular i think maybe more than the other ones i've of his that i've seen it feels very stagey where like it almost feels like you know everybody's like cheating out to the audience at at every point and like you know this movie was meant to be a musical i um but I also just want everything to be a musical, so... That's... Yeah, that's true. And a lot of people don't dig that. I don't know. I've, yeah, I feel like they missed a real opportunity to make, like, the gayest musical of all time. I, I haven't seen the stage production, so I can't speak to that. But the, like, the adaptation with John Travolta and Zac Efron and, um... Oh, I'm forgetting her name because she's not... Because she's not really famous. Yeah, Nikki something. Like, I... It's, it's so straight that it's, like, uncomfortable. Yeah. And because they took out all the, like, weird gay John Waters stuff... They just filled a lot of that time with fat jokes. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Which this movie is delightfully light on. It is so nice. Edna obviously has kind of a complex about her body, which she's a little bit 
projecting onto her child, which a I'll, little bit. I'll circle. I'll circle back to that in a second. But, but luckily, this movie just like skates right past that stuff. I yeah. Like she says something like, "Oh, I'm hideous. I could never." And immediately, someone is like, "Shut the fuck up. You're beautiful." <laughs> yeah, I. No, not once in this movie does a fat person have to change to get love. Right. And it is so beautiful and, and so refreshing. And at multiple refreshing. points, like, uh, Tracy gets celebrated for being fat, right? Like, she gets a deal with this, like, plus-size clothing company explicitly because she's fat. And, like, there's a person, like, Amber doesn't like her and specifically calls out her fatness but everybody that she's it's made explicitly clear that she is the only one like she's just a bitch and she just wanted to be a bitch and she was gonna find something to be a bitch about but no one else on the give on the planet gives a shit that tracy is fat which is awesome tracy makes out with two different guys in this movie it's amazing not like she gets Asked to dance because people understand, like, she's a good dancer. And, like, yeah. she has pulled attention for being good at something and isn't just stuck being a wallflower and, like, can actually live this really cool story and come as, up with like, it. As a, as a fat person, like, it's so hard to get, like, a good positive role model like character in a movie like if a fat person exists in a movie it's probably not a woman unless it's melissa mccarthy bless her heart she's amazing i watch her watch her and everything right it's probably like a sidekick or like the tech character and you're probably just there for like exposition dumping or comic relief like those are our jobs is like sitting in chairs and delivering jokes which like thankfully i'm actually good at one of those things <laughs> yeah but, like yeah yeah uh are you good did a really good piece and you should go listen to about how they really flip and uh redefine the fat best friend trope through this movie totally and it is so this was the first time i ever saw a movie when holy shit that's me right like yeah I, I don't i mean i and i cannot think of any other movie that like i could relate to that i didn't feel like i was the joke of like 20 seconds later if you existed at all which you almost certainly didn't no right like uh you know over quarantine like i watched a lot more movies than i ever have before and like i could probably count on one hand the number of like fat actors that i saw in that like year and a half right And something that I really noticed, and I think as someone who is very aware of how bodies move through the world, there was not really any, like, there's not any skinny fat people in this movie. And there's not, like, Edna in particular is not, like, an hourglass fat. Where she fucking is as John Travolta, because God forbid he actually looks like the goddamn character. He has to look sexy, even if... I mean, like, you know, like... Divine looks amazing. Edna's not, like, a a knockout or anything, but, like, she's a beautiful woman. Like, Divine makes a beautiful woman. And there's... Look, as as a top-heavy lady, like, there's nothing wrong with being a top-heavy lady. Um, And, yeah, it just... It really sucks that they did the, like, full suit thing for John Travolta. Yeah. It it sucks. It it very much felt like, oh, John Travolta's Edna is a spit in the face of everything that Divine was. And I think that is one of the biggest things that I can't forgive, uh, that I can't look past and forgive that version of. And I... Like, there's no way... Like, I get that in order to sell a movie, it has to have stars in it. I understand that. But there's no way you can't make the other two people in the movie like the biggest stars of all time and then you cast just some broadway drag queen like they RuPaul's exist the thing. rupaul was the thing back then right right like Pulled cast one of those queens. cast exactly it just like cast a queen it it doesn't who can sing like it doesn't matter i mean the edna part in the musical is pretty light anyway i just think it's like 
disrespectful. It is. <laughs> it's fucking think, disrespectful, like, that movie. I have a lot of complicated feelings around drag, but when you ignore it and don't, it is such an important part of our culture that when you don't respect how draggy something is or where their drag roots come from. Right. It's like, disrespectful. It's very disrespectful. It's like, it's, this is not the the right term for this, so like, don't get mad at me, race warriors, but like, it's a little bit cultural appropriation, right? Like, yeah. it, it has that same taste to it of like, you took this thing and that's fine. I, I like you appreciating our thing, but you took the context away and you don't really understand what you're dealing with anymore. Yeah, it definitely feels like there are so few movies for us by us that watching someone take one of those and completely butcher it in a way that ignores everything that made it special Yeah, is heartbreaking yeah and i really hope no one touches uh but i'm a cheerleader because oh my god i'm more i'm scared the 90s are coming back and it's god if they remake that movie i'm gonna set myself on fire oh god oh so we were gonna double back i did remember um we're gonna double back and talk about the like diet stuff in this movie because like edna calls out her diet pills a couple of times which i mean it was the 1960s those that was just speed she was just taking speed but then yeah there's some like projecting stuff when they're like having dinner and like edna's trying to push her eating disorder on on tracy and tracy's like no fuck you (laughs) i love it yeah i i've got like two divergent thoughts and i want to make sure i keep both of them um Part of the reason I love this movie and I think why I don't find uh, Edna's behavior as problematic as it could be read as and it does get re-read as in the remake um, is because this whole movie is like a giant... Like, everyone is pushing off their parents and their parents' perceptions of them and redefining themselves as who they are. And it's not happening not just with Tracy, but with, like, Penny and her pushing away her parents and her, like, they're trying to come up with a P alliteration for anything Penny-related, but it's not going to work. But, like... The uh, Penny... The the P alliteration. I have it in my notes here. Um... Penny Pingleton is permanently positively punished. Please make me that a t-shirt. I will wear my Penny Pingleton is permanently positively punished t-shirt every fucking day. It's the most beautiful alliteration in the movie I've ever heard. Um, And we even have, like, Amber, who is, although she relies on her parents a lot, you still, like, see her trying to win things her own way in a interesting racist yeah. piece think, of bullshit way i think it is fun that she is kind of the villain because she's not rejecting what her parents are doing right right like i think it's kind of played as a joke that she is like you know going along with what her parents want to do and trying to be this like perfect person this like perfect whatever debutante Debutante, that's the word i was looking for thank you my brain is not working tonight uh my other thought was like another reason i really connected with tracy was because of her her parents pressuring her and trying to form her her, at least her mother um and as someone who tried to perform femininity and tried to be this person who i wasn't feeling everyone else's expectations on my shoulders and being able to recognize that other people can feel that and say, no, fuck you, I'm going to do what makes me happy, was more powerful to me than I think I could even reckon with. Totally. And just like, I I just would feel bad if I didn't say, I understand that we have complicated, a lot of us have complicated relationships with our bodies and food. Um, But as a parent, it is your job to keep that shit out of your kid's head. Like, that shit's so toxic. And, I mean, in the case of a lot of those diet pills, like, literally toxic. And also studies show that, like, you can't really lose weight. That's not really a thing. Just, you just are. And that's fine. 
as someone who works with kids on a day-to-day basis, like, this is something that I'm already trying to deprogram out of some of my kiddos. And it's, as someone who also, like, became insecure about my body because other people were insecure about theirs, it is one of the most toxic things you can do, not, like, in a literal sense, because it'll seep out of you in a way that you don't understand and right. will get picked up by everyone around you. And yeah, you protect your children. Like, Make their life better than what yours is. People think that kids are just, like, blind and dumb, and they're not. Like, they understand and they hear the things that you say. Like, I had a bad relationship with food starting at, like, 10, 11. Yeah. Like, so, so early because it was immediately in my head from the time that I was conscious that there I was fucking up by being fat. Even though, like, you've seen my, you know my family, like, literally everyone in my family is fat. Oh, like, yeah. I'm just, I'm just from, Same. like, a hearty Central European stock. That's We're peasant just, stock. You're like- right, exactly. My family is literally, like, Polish farming peasants. Like, we are built to withstand the winter. Yeah, I'm Nordic and Russian. Like, I winter is my main reason to... Yeah. And, like, yeah, I... It's something I see a lot with parents these days, and I really hurts my soul as someone who feels like I've been fighting for a better tomorrow, kind of, which this movie also does an amazing job of illustrating, and I'm coming back to that in just a second. It's so... We've been talking about this movie so long, we haven't even touched on racism. Oh, God, went on too many tangents. Damn it. I know. That's the, like, central conflict of this show is it's basically just, like, juggling because both of us have ADHD and we're just, like, constantly trying to keep a bunch of pills <laughs> in the air at the same time. Um. Anyway, can we talk about the music in this movie? Because yes, it please. is bomb. Yeah, it's so good. And, like... I mean, the instructional dances are, like, really incredible. Um, But I don't know. I just have, like, a weakness for this, like, early, this early rock and roll stuff. Speaking of which, there's a band that's playing live at one point. uh, The Lafayettes, they're called. And I was, like, (laughs) I was, like, lecturing at Micah about this, like, while we were watching this movie. It's such a cool, first of all, just a rhythm. I'm just going to get real into detail. I'm sorry about this. Um, it's so cool. Like, just a rhythm section? In 1962, who's doing just bass and drums and a vocalist? Like, that's dope. And then the bassist, he's got one of those early, like, hollow body uh, precision basses. And that's fucking cool as hell. You don't see those. You don't see anything but solid body electric basses anymore. Yeah. This band is so cool. Like rhythm section and a vocalist, their death from above 1962. <laughs> it's so good. The music in the early 1960s is wonderful. And I think it's really interesting and eclectic in its own way, especially because it has this whole genre of instructional dance uh, steps. Right. And, the creativeness of telling a story and keeping a writing a whole song around like two dance steps yeah is something is something that i think really resonates in today's culture still totally yeah i just like i had this overwhelming sense watching this movie and like listening to all the music like for some reason early 60s like 60s rock and roll like for some reason makes me feel nostalgic for like high school really which is very strange and i have a theory about this and i I, i'm willing to bet i might i might be crazy this might just be like a me being insane thing but i'd be willing to bet other people have this feeling please like send us an email um or like hit us up on twitter Twitter if this is a thing that you agree with because i'm I really think this might be real. So the boomers are effectively like the first generation of teenagers, right? Yeah, yeah. Like before them is the the silent generation and the war generation. Like they were dealing with war. They were dealing with uh, the depression. Like they didn't have the time or the prosperity to be able to like fuck off like 
the sort of trope we have of teenagers now the like fucking around in your car after school like not doing anything getting in trouble listening to music like going to the fucking uh, like malt shop with your friends or whatever right like they they invented teenagehood for better or worse (laughs) right and and i think you could argue that they never really left teenagehood but i feel like that is like an argument for a different time i feel like the boomers feel like they invented being selfish and so they get to keep doing it forever because it's their brand oh shit (laughs) shit. (laughs) but like i blame i blame that for making me feel nostalgic for a place and time I've never been, right? It's right. Like I've absorbed so much boomer media that glorifies like the se- the sixties and the seventies because that's when they grew up. That it also feels like my childhood, which is weird. You're I. You are not alone. <laughs> like thinking about it, it very much is like how many of our comfort movies from growing up are set in... Set in the 60s. 60s, You know, set in the 70s, and how much... Fuck. Yeah, that's a lot of media to go through, and it really does make you feel nostalgic for something that was never yours. And I think is also probably why everyone has that, like, let's go back to the before times. Right, because the only version of it that we really have is the, like, Hollywood version where everything worked out and then we sang songs along the way. But, like, nobody remembers the, like, shooting people with fire hoses and, like, you know cops you know rounding up gay people and stuff like people forget about that stuff because it doesn't fit in musicals yeah no one wants to remember or cares to remember or it's not taught either our history and what it actually looks like and it and it's not just a fun little musical that we lived how many ever decades ago right that is wild. I've never thought of that before. Yeah, I thought about that watching this movie, and I kind of blew my own mind a little bit. So, there's that. Okay, if we're talking about the music, can we also talk about the fashion? Yeah, hell yeah, we could talk about the fashion. All those slim cut suits and skinny ties. Oh boy, I This would... is like a little bit pre-slim, like slim cut suit. Like, they're not quite like mod suits yet, but they're, I mean, they're doing it. Um. Yeah, they are... All of the dress, like, there are maybe two dresses I wouldn't wear out of this whole costume set. I think that the costume department did an amazing job putting everyone's personality into their wardrobe in a really fun way. Yeah. Also, when's the last time you saw a fat girl wearing cute dresses in the movies? Right. Cute, like, actually fitted. Makes her look great and is fit for her body and not, like, forced into a skinny person's dress or just wearing like a potato sack oh god the potato sacks (laughs) y'all burlap is not my color (laughs) um yeah i the fashion is so it again with the camp like it's all turned up and colorful and bright and then you also have the reverse of all of that when you get to the beatniks and you have just like these simple black turtlenecks and it's so and also yeah the portrayal of the beatniks is so over the top (laughs) and cartoonish too like it's ludicrous the fact that uh she's like reading like alan ginsburg at them as they leave her apartment like it's it's so ludicrous i love it so much it's one of my favorite scenes okay i think we have to talk about integration and the like sort of larger race struggle of this movie i think we've danced around the gay shit too long this is a movie about race and racism it really is i feel like we should talk about that yes um because you know this movie centers on integrating a dance show the courtney collins show as sort of an allegory for integrating uh baltimore and like everywhere because yeah so i really enjoy the depictions of black people in this movie Mm -hmm. and i think it's also really fun that it's 
made pretty clear every time our main characters go to a black gathering how much like more fun everyone is having (laughs) yeah and and i think it's i think it's really telling that like those gatherings are allowed to be loose and have fun in a way that like whether it's true or not i mean i think it is we know white people you know white people aren't allowed to relax and have fun the same way and i think that it is a function of whiteness right that like we have given up our individual polish and like russian jewish cultures to become white people and in doing so like whiteness requires an amount of like uniformity yeah uniformity that like doesn't allow for expression that same way yeah and i think that this movie actually like shows that in a really interesting way like especially with the character of amber where you have this perfect blonde barbie girl who is constantly miserable constantly fighting everyone around her constantly getting hurt or like going through something painful um to look better to fit into this society and then you have the opposite where you have characters like seaweed and little inez who are facing their struggles but have a sense of joy around them and are still very individualistic and are very unique to themselves yeah it's just so interesting and like gosh like there are critiques i have about this movie like i kind of wish that the racism stuff was handled like a little more deftly but then this wouldn't be a john waters movie right like yeah you don't you don't paint with a fine brush in a john waters movie like you paint with the widest brush available and you just like make it big you know right so it's hard to like fault this movie for being like you should take this seriously because like we don't take fucking anything seriously i just think like a lot of the racism in this movie is yeah pretty cartoonish it is but it's sort of meant to be lampooned right i think it you can't take it out of its context that this movie comes out even though it's about the 1960s it comes out in the late 80s yeah and by that point we're comfortable enough making fun of the backwards i think the best example of how much this makes fun of it is the scene where penny's mother is chasing them through the black neighborhood oh my god yeah i I wanted to bring that up too you have this full-on karen scene where it's one beautifully written and one of the funniest fucking things i've seen it's so funny you're good said this and i'm gonna repeat it like it this could be a comedy sketch from snl or key and peel or Chappelle show or something like it's so funny the button is so good like it's incredible and you have this white woman acting completely outright and completely delusional and just screaming through a black neighborhood because of her fear and her And I think it's, I think like all of the people who you see as like the racists who are hurting the community are these, you have them, they're all over the top villainous. Like you have Amber's parents who are terrifying and, you know, Divine as the station manager, they're all just like, again, very draggy and full like full of drama but yeah this movie calls out in a lot of like big and small ways kind of how stupid racism and segregation are right like Like, the fact that uh tracy ends up in special ed which is basically just people of color and then like maybe one or two people who actually need it right and she calls it out in the right right exactly where she's like this is basically just some racist shit to hold black people back which she's not wrong like statistically she's not wrong non-white people get in trouble more in school they end up in suspension more in school like they tend to do worse in school because like they're they're surrounded by you know they're minorities and like they don't have their whatever the whole system's broken and we need to burn it to the ground right and it's designed to oppress non-white people in any way 
It's not good, y'all. <sighs> Made ourselves sad again. The other subtitle of this podcast. Yeah. Oh, this is this is nothing, but I just have to talk about it. What the fuck is this dodgeball that they're playing in this, in this movie? Fucking right. I have played it. So, right. Yeah, you're a childcare professional. You've probably played more dodgeball than anyone I've ever met. I have played way too much dodgeball. I have played so many varieties of dodgeball. Right. Never have I seen it played like this, and why is it worse? <laughs> it seems so mean. It's like... Imagine if dodgeball, but on all sides, like that. They ha- so if you haven't seen the movie, how they're playing dodgeball is they have one team surrounding the other as they run back and forth. And there's one ball where they just take turns pelting it at them. And it's just like. It's like a horror movie. It like is. being in this circle would feel like a horror movie. It absolutely would. And I don't understand it so if there's any boomers out there who played this dumb game <laughs> yeah, maybe this is just like what dodgeball was like in the mid-century and we just don't know it um thank god we stopped using but those it's rubber fu- balls but it's fucked up i mean i mean we were still using them when i was a oh, kid oh we still use them when i was a kid but now my kids are spoiled and just have they foam have those balls. little foam ones yeah i mean i think we i want to say we converted to the foam balls like when I was in middle school or something. But, yeah, we definitely started on those rubber balls. But the problem is the foam ones don't get the same velocity. They're not they're not heavy enough. So you can't put, like, real force behind them. Um, oh, we, we should have talked about this when we talked about another little thing. As we're just, like, poking through our notes here. When, when Tracy and the gang are hanging out with the, um, with the beatniks. I love, there's this little tiny line. I love this script so much. There's this little tiny line where she, she says, how do you get your hair so straight and so flat? She says it exactly like that. So straight and so flat, disgusted. It's, Which, like, as a curly-haired person, I identify with that. Like, how do you do that and why? <laughs> yeah. I, oh, it was so good. I, one of the scenes that I really love that is very, I think, very underrated is the opening scene with all of the goddamn hairspray. Oh my god, the hairspray. That whole scene just smells like Aquanet and teenage repressed sexuality. Yeah, it's like so sexual. People are like fucking the hairspray. And again, I think that, again, it's like that draggy straightness. And I think you're right, it's meant to be like sort of chaste teenagers who sort of get it where they can right or whatever um yeah but it's it's very strange everything in this movie is a little strange uh oh talking about a little strange the best cameo of all time john waters himself oh as this over the top insane like, like racist conversion therapist yeah there's a line I, I can't get over it where he's like, think about all the beautiful white boys you could date or something like that. And, you know, he's got like it's he's obviously meant to be like a total quack because he's coming in with these like sci fi tools that you, yeah. I have seen on Star Trek. But, like <laughs> you know, yeah, the thing that he pokes her with. Definitely looks like a Star Trek prop. I'm telling you, I've seen that on Star Trek. I'm sure it's rented from the same prop house. (laughs) Also, like, I'm pretty sure... I can't confirm this, but, like, I'm pretty sure that whole, like, zapping with the big ray gun thing is meant to be, like, sort of a masturbation euphemism. Oh, definitely. Which I, I feel like ticks our box like all of these movies have to have like a masturbation euphemism there's always one i don't know why the bingo card includes vague like references to masturbation among teenagers but like it's weird the world is too obsessed with teenage sexuality and it is wild to me i do i do kind of like that it's not a deal in this movie right like people kiss and like it's a thing but like it's not sex and sexuality is not like the villain it's not like a main like plot or or stress point at all it's kind of nice it's really nice 
I really appreciate having the break from it. Like, you don't realize how forced it is in our day-to-day media until you get the example where it's not the center of attention. And it was very nice to be like, oh, oh, this is, we're just not going to deal with it. Right. that's lovely. Yeah. It's it's fine. It's lovely. We should talk about the like controlling mother. Uh Prudy Pe- Can you do it? No, I can't. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> yes. Uh Penny's mom, right? Penny's mom who's always like mm-hmm. she's always punished. Yes. And her mother is like clearly has like a generalized anxiety disorder. Oh yes. And also just, like, but, yeah, she's this sort of, like, caricature of, like, the anxious, like, fearful parent. And it, I just think, like, this is such a toxic way to parent your kids. Oh, absolutely. Because, like, I mean, as much, we've talked, we talked about projecting about the eating disorder stuff, but, like, you're just making your kids scared of everything the way you're scared of everything. Is that really what you want? You really want your kid living a life where, like, they can't go to a non-white neighborhood without having a fucking panic attack. Like, you can't protect your children from being children. No. That's what I'm saying. Like, yes, I understand that it's your job to shepherd them and to make sure that they, like, are turn into, like, good people. But, like... They still have to fall down and learn that it hurts. Right, right. Or else if you're gonna ruin your child if right. you don't. And I think that you really see Penny putting in her own work throughout this entire movie to live a life that is not full of fear like her mom and is constantly like, you see her reading all the time and is like sneaking out of the house and finding ways to, finding ways to do things in her own way. Uh, Yeah, it's really nice to see, like as a person who came from like an authoritarian, like uh, home life, like it, it doesn't help. Like it no. just it it just makes you afraid and it it just makes it harder to like enjoy your life and be able to do things in the future as an adult. It took me a long time to really deprogram a lot of that fear that I was taught and I'm so grateful for all of the opportunities I've been given uh, by my friends and community to explore safely and if that it that's the best thing you can do for a child is to create that safe space and create a area where they are able to face scary things and not like even if they're scary for you as a parent like just at, be there for your kid right as a parent you can help your kid process scary things rather than avoid them right like here's the thing if you shield your kids from everything and they never have to hurt or experience negative things, then they have to first experience those things as an adult when they don't have your support. So you fucked up, right? Because, like, you missed an opportunity to parent. Yeah. When you were could be could have been parenting your kid and making them better, making them more prepared for the world. Instead, you were just locking them away and hoping they would just never become human beings. Yeah, children are wildly independent and grow up. We underestimate them so much and where they're at and how they face the world because so many of the kids I work with are fearless. Yeah. And it's terrifying as a a supervisor to like see a kid doing something where you're like oh my god they could get hurt but they need to learn that like that's not it's our job to be like hey do it this way so it doesn't hurt as bad or to provide the mat underneath so that you only get bruised and not a broken bone but you know like so much of life is just living it and the more you keep people behind glass doors the harder it is for them to make that entrance and you're just keeping your child around to make sure you're taken care of when you're a a dependent old fart i think that's a good like last big thing to leave folks on unless you have like another big thing to talk about nope though i want to do one last thing before we sign this podcast off uh this script i've said this before the script is so amazing so i have prepared a list of phrases from 
this movie that I would like on t-shirts. Miss Soft Crab 1945. Yes! I would like that on a t-shirt. I would like Penny Pingleton is permanently punished. I would like that on a t-shirt in the like cool right aligned font. Penny Pingleton is positively punished. Can it be a crop top? Because it definitely feels like a crop top. It... <laughs> um uh let me see let me see what else is on my list here oh this girl is a trash can i caught it <laughs> come on this girl's a trash okay, can so can we talk really quick about the iconic roach dress that tracy wears oh at the end God, of the movie the roach dress never tracy is bisexual and i will die on that hill <laughs> she is too cool okay. to not be in our family but okay. to take a fucking insult that Amber is because Amber's constantly talking about how she's got roaches or whatever mm-hmm. and to spin it in such the perfect way as a fuck you is it's just like the most beautiful petty thing you could possibly that's why she has to be gay right like the straights can't be petty like that no they don't have they don't have petty like that no there's um, she learned that petty from a deep within her soul yeah um, the very last phrase that I would like on a t-shirt is, she better hadn't dare. <laughs> I forgot about that. I don't even remember where it happens in the movie. I just have written in my notes, she better hadn't dare. Which, like, I, I just love that as a phrase. Like, you know, this it, it may be that this is a, a more grammatical sentence in like black english than it is in in standard like in standard english um but yeah i i just love she better hadn't dare she better hadn't dare i'm really hope i can start using that in my day-to-day life yeah that's what i'm saying i'm like is this i don't i don't want to i don't want to use this if it's if it's gonna be icky but like i think it's just supposed to be a bit like it, it seems like it's because in the context of the movie, I, as I recall, it's it's kind of a joke. I think so. Um, but anyway, please, someone please make me a She Better Hadn't Dare t-shirt. That's all. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Follow us on socials. We love you. We love you. Have a great night. Like and subscribe or whatever. That's YouTube. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs>